The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The 21st chapter beginning in the 33rd verse. Jesus said, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There's a great story that author David Halberstam tells. It's of a friend of his taking a trip uh, to Japan. It seems he was anxious because he didn't speak Japanese. How would he communicate with the people that he came in contact with? Since most of the taxi drivers don't speak English, someone suggested that it might be a good idea to carry with him something bearing the name of the hotel in which he was staying, written in Japanese. So when he arrived in Japan, one of the first things he did was to go and pick up a box of matches with the hotel's name on the box. Then he went out sightseeing, touring, and visiting. Well, the time came for him to head on back to his hotel, so he flagged down a taxi. He got out the box of matches to show the driver where he wanted to go. Well, there was a few awkward moments of confusion and lack of clarity until finally it seemed as the driver kind of got the idea and off they sped to, the, to their destination. And about a half an hour later, the taxi came to a screeching halt and the driver with great glee and joy turned and looked at the passenger and pointed out the window at the building right where they were. Just one problem. They weren't in front of the hotel. They were in front of a match factory. I thought of that story um, this week a lot as I was preparing for this morning. As you know, Jesus often uses parables to teach his disciples. And sometimes, sometimes they don't get it. 
so too for us. Sometimes for us. When we, when we read a parable, we miss what Jesus might be saying to us. Oh, it could be clear what we think he's saying to them or to someone else. But, but we might miss, what's he saying to me? What's he saying to us? And what's he saying to us today? We find ourselves this morning in the 21st chapter of Matthew's Gospel. What a chapter it is. We've been reading from it for the last couple of weeks. We've not preached on it every week. We've been reading from it every week. And, and I'm guessing that unless you've been looking at it, you might not realize that it opens with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So we set the stage of the timing of where we are. This is Palm Sunday, the chapter of Palm Sunday in Matthew's Gospel. And what it's followed by is that Jesus, after coming in, goes into the temple where he overturns the tables of the money changers in the temple. And he drives them out. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, let me just give you a, uh, maybe a foretaste or maybe a, so you don't miss it as we're going through here. What we'll see is that Jesus is, become, is challenging all of the religious establishment, all of the church in their practice of spirituality and of faithfulness. And he's come in right at the beginning and he's thrown out the money changers and he's accused them of not making this house a house of prayer. On his journey back out, going for the evening, he comes across a fig tree where it's not producing anything. The fig tree is just there, has the leaves. He curses the fig tree, it withers, and it dies. Now, you and I might miss the significance there, of course, but a fig tree would represent to the Jews of that time a, a bit of a portrait of Israel itself, not producing any fruit, being cursed and done away with. Are you getting a sense of what he's been teaching to them as he's moving forward? And what will happen to them if they don't repent? So the next day, back in the temple, various people come to Jesus and they ask him questions. And they begin to question his own authority. And he tells them three parables. The first we read last week, it's the parable of the two sons the two sons, you know, the one who came and he told him to go work and he said, sure, I'll go. He said, no, I'm not going to work. I don't want to do that. And then later went and the other one said, sure, I'll go, but never went. You remember that parable? Jesus teaching a performance takes priority over promise. Performance takes a priority. You know it perhaps more familiarly, you know, to, to do what you say you'll do. Walk matching the talk. And he's challenging them in, in their own actions and their own words. They're saying those words, but they're hollow words because what they're doing is no comparison to what they're saying. Then this morning we hear the parable of the tenants, which we'll look at in a second. And then next Sunday we'll read the parable of the wedding feast. So what we find throughout this entire chapter, chapter 21 and the first part of chapter 22, Jesus confronting the religious establishment. And at the end of chapter 21, Matthew records, when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was talking about them. They got it. Message received. So let's look at the parable of attendance this morning. In this parable, Jesus uses the familiar imagery of the vineyard, taken from Isaiah 5, our Old Testament lesson this morning. 
He wanted them to be clear what he's talking about. He wanted to know what this vineyard was. He's talking to them. He's talking about the, the body of believers, the faithful, for you and me in our terminology, the church. And they're the tenants. He wants them to know God is the master vineyard and they are the tenants. Throughout the Old Testament, this vineyard imagery and the vine are used to describe God's relationship with his people. And Jesus uses this to confront their misunderstanding of who they are in relationship to God. As they say, as I say, they, they get it. They're, they're definitely pierced in their hearts because of what they hear the truth. But I don't want us to miss it this morning, so let me just quickly remind you of the truth in this parable. First of all, the owner of the vineyard is God. The vineyard is his kingdom. The tenants are the righteous leaders, the religious leaders. The servants, those are the prophets who came and came and came to tell them to repent and change their ways. The son, of course, is Jesus. And the new tenants is the church, you and me. As I said, they, they get the message. They, they, they clearly get it. So much so that when he asked them, well, what would the owner do with them, do with those tenants? He says, they said back to him, he'll put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruit in their season. Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty clear. And we could possibly assume that this applies only to Old Testament times. We, we get it. We know the story, right? We know God's the owner of the vineyard. He has his kingdom that's there, and they didn't faithfully do it. The religious leaders didn't pay attention. God sent the prophets. The prophets came and told them to repent. They didn't. Finally, they say he sent his only son, his son Jesus, who they killed and was crucified and died. And now we have the kingdom. And here we are, and off we go, right? And that's kind of how we could take it and leave it this morning. Except, except... There are two verses that jump out at me, and I presume they might at you as well. One is the line where it says about those other tenants, those other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. And then there's this one. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Now, if that doesn't capture your imagination this morning... I'm not sure exactly what else I could say. This parable is speaking to us in our own time, in our own lives, in a fresh and new way. The, the pages of Scripture are alive for us this morning about what Jesus speaks to us about our responsibility and our practice and our words. 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle in his commentary writes about this very parable. He says, the parable contained in these verses was spoken with special reference to the Jews. They are the farmers described. Their sins are set before us here as in a picture. Of this there can be no doubt. It is written that, quote, he was talking about them. But he goes on to say the following. He says, we must not flatter ourselves that this parable contains nothing for the Gentiles. There are lessons laid down for us as well as for the Jews. Now, I want to make it really simple this morning because sometimes we give multiple points or we make a, a, a wide-ranging sermon. I have one point this morning. One point. Simple one point. God is the owner, 
It all belongs to him. He is the giver. We are the tenants, the stewards. You got it? That's it. That's it. God owns all of it, and we are tenants. We are stewards of it. I'll never forget many years ago a story that I know I've shared multiple times before where a good friend of mine shared the insight he gained from his children and their visit to McDonald's, right? You remember this. He drove through the drive-in line to McDonald's, bought his kids Happy Meals. Both of them got a little bit of a Happy Meal. They drove on out, and uh, they're driving, and he smells that aroma of McDonald's french fries. He says, hmm, that smells pretty good. He reaches over to take one of his children's french fries, and the child pulls back, slaps his hand, and says, don't touch that. Those are mine. Right? He bought the meal. He drove the car to get the meal. He earned the money to buy the meal. Yet as quick as that, his young son claimed ownership. I'm guessing we're all hearing that, right? We all get the point. You know, it's been a constant uh, awareness for me, and it's been a bit more so um, in the last couple of years and even more so in the last couple of weeks that uh, Nancy and I have been blessed, as has our family, uh, living next door for virtually all of the time we've been at Christ St. Paul's. And you may have never noticed, but I try, I don't succeed on a lot of occasions, but I try very hard to refer to the house next door as the rectory. Now, if you weren't raised as an Episcopalian or an Anglican, you, you might think, what is wrong with him? I mean, why does he keep calling that thing over there the rectory? It's his house, right? But it's not. We don't own it. We never have. The church owns the house. And though it's been our home for many years, I know how easy it would be to call it and to think of it and to act like it was mine, it was ours, and it's not. And any way I can remind myself of the great blessing it has been is to call it what it truly is. It's a gift from God, a blessing that God has provided for us. But how easy it is to start thinking about it as mine and ours, and, and we can do whatever we want to because it's our house. Now those are two very, I think, practical, simple examples about the foundational issue that we're talking about this morning with this parable. You see, there's a significant difference between ownership and stewardship. And sadly, it's very easy for us to quickly move from stewards to owners. Now, when you hear that word stewardship, you no doubt will think that I'm talking about money or giving and tithing. Well, it certainly applies. I'm not suggesting that it doesn't. All of our financial resources that we have are his. He gives them to us, and we're called to be good stewards of all that he's given us. And we give in thanksgiving to the work and ministry of his church, the first fruits of our, of our income, of our tithe, our 10%. But that's not really what I'm focusing on this morning. This truth has been highlighted during especially this pandemic season with our offertory sentences from the 2019 Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, 
and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Yes, all things. The issue of stewardship and the move to ownership, though, applies to not only our finances and our, our possessions. It belongs to all of our life, all of our life. Not just french fries, not rectories, or our money. It applies to every single aspect of our lives. Think about it for just a moment with me. What are some of the areas of our lives where, where we tend to see this? I'm very conscious of it myself. I still have to catch myself referring to Christ St. Paul says, my church. Get with the clergy. Well, that's my church. No, it's not. We have to learn to hold these things that God gives us so very close, so very loose in our possessions. They're not ours. They're God's. He gives them to us to use. And the church is one of the primary things he gives to us and how quickly clergy, Father Kendall, I'm not you know, necessarily casting stones your direction. I'm just receiving them myself. We come to think it is our church. We build a church. We are the church. We've done all this. This is my church. It's not. It's not at all. And if you've been here all your life, I hate to break it to you, this is not your church either. This is God's church. He gives it to us as his gift for his body, for nurture and strength and ministry. But I see it in my own life. I can refer to those who work here in the church as my staff. Now maybe you can find yourself saying that as well. Parents, what about our children? I realize there's an aspect of life that they are given to you and to your life. But do you realize they're not really your children, they're God's gift to you. They're a precious gift from God. He entrusts us with their lives and their well-being and their discipleship and their love and their nurture. But they're his. They're his. And you know, the harder you hold on to them, the, the harder it gets, right? Because they're not yours. They're his. We're raising them up to give them to his service. And what about our jobs? Our careers? Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord. I wonder what kind of impact that would have in, in our lives if we thought of our jobs as how we're serving the Lord rather than how much am I going to make? What's it going to benefit me? What kind of side bennies are there to this opportunity that I'm going to have? And what about the way we serve in the life of the church right here at Christ St. Paul's in ministry? And more specifically about the church. Can you hear those familiar words from Rick Warren's that we've quoted ever since he wrote the book, I suspect? It's not about you. It's not about you. But how quickly it becomes all about me. It becomes all my stuff. It's all mine. It's me, mine. You see, Jesus in this chapter, he's speaking to the religious people, the religious leaders. And the vineyard he take, took from them has been given to us church. We might claim it as our church or our ministry in the church, but the truth is we're the same kind of stewards that he's talking about in that parable. 
there's an accountability to our stewardship. We may act like owners, but brothers and sisters, we are not owners. Jesus told this parable and Matthew preserved it so we might not forget. We are not owners. You know, during the past couple of years, I think we've had more than maybe others the opportunity to, to realize the very truth of this parable. Our buildings could be taken away from us and how painful that would be. But do you see this morning perhaps what, what a gift that really has been, the, the realization of that for us? Yes, I continue to pray greatly that that won't actually be our experience. But hasn't it begun to teach us that it's not ours? It never was ours. This church, this building, this ministry, our very lives are not our own. They're the Lord's. Don't forget, Jesus asked us here, what will the owner do to those tenants? He'll put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants he will give them, who will give him their first fruits in their seasons. I like the way the message translation is of the last part of this passage. It says, this is the way it is with you. God's kingdom will be taken back from you and handed over to a people who will live out a kingdom life. Stewardship or ownership? Which is it this morning? As we were singing our hymn of praise this morning, I, uh, I realized how just perfect Tim and the worship team had captured it. So, Tim, would you do me a favor? Would you come back up? Would you mind singing for us while we just close our eyes and just think about this very issue in our own lives, where it applies to us? That verse, I mean that chorus from Have It All, could you do that for us? If you guys would just sit and just listen and appreciate and see how it applies in your life this morning. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. 